0: Hi everyone and welcome to the I don't know show with Joe I'm Joe and I don't know much about conservatism and conservative principles but my guest Josh Robin does Josh thank you for joining the show
1: thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here the uh, big secret by the way is uh you know Joe actually does know a lot about a lot of things uh, but we he's very humble as well
0: that is a secret I I'm, I'm dedicated to not knowing things so. <laughs> well, that's great. The,
1: the, you know, he who is wise knows what they don't know, as they go. say.
0: Well, I don't know that either. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an unknowledgeable wise
1: man. We could go around in circles in this. <laughs> Just continue over and over again. We can indeed.
0: But I think the be- best place to start is what is conservatism? And what would you say is the defining principle or set of principles that comprise conservatism?
1: Right. So I want to make sure that we clarify because there are a lot of different people who will say a lot of different things about what conservatism is and also there are a variety of different parties around the world that might call themselves the conservative party but might mm-hmm. actually have very different beliefs. So I want to clarify this as the you know the, the typical American right right the the conservative view as uh as it stands in our constitutional American system, yeah. So I would say that some of the f- defining principles of a conservative value set would be limited government, mm-hmm. individual liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we t- we talk about in the Declaration of Independence: life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Speaking my language, right. So this is <laughs> this is the thing that's very interesting. Is that I think a lot of people who, who would describe themselves as liberal or libertarian or other uh other things besides conservative they would also say that they agree with those things but i think sometimes right. the the application of that in terms of how it's supposed to be practically enacted in a in the setting of a society and a government yeah. is where there there might be some differences right um free market economics capitalism that's another big part of uh you know, what, th- what we would call conservative principles, I think, in the country. And that's a- another area where I think you can distinguish yourself from somebody who might be considered liberal or, of, co- or of course, someone who's socialist or, um, you know, even libertarian or anarchist or wherever you want to go, yeah. to the left or the right, fascist. Those are all, you know, typically not going to uh, subscribe fully to the idea of free market uh, capitalism.
0: Right. So. Okay, so, so you named a bunch of things, and um, probably uh, uh, agree with, with all the things that you mentioned. Um, but So conservatism, um, and, and again, to clarify, we're, we're talking about American conservatism. Um, is it, it sounds like it's a, a cultural and political philosophy. Is there an underlying moral principle that conservatism upholds? What What's it all based on?
1: Yeah, I think there is, and I think, you know, a lot of it could be traced back to some Judeo-Christian values. Okay. Uh, you know, people talk about the non-aggression principle. I think that that is something that can also be applied. I would say there is a fundamental, again, to go back to the Declaration, there, there is a fundamental idea that I think really separates the conservative mindset from other political philosophies. Mm. And that is the idea that our rights do not come from the government, right. they don't come from another man, they don't come from uh, what somebody else might give to you. Right. It's what they call God-given rights, or if you don't believe in God, you could call them natural rights. Right. It's something that you're inherently born with as a human being. and no government can give that to you or take it away. And in fact, the only real, or maybe the most fundamental purpose of having a government from a conservative mindset is simply to maintain and protect those rights, yeah. not to provide them. And right. that's, I think, where a lot of the the moral kind of principles come from, because I think that if you look at an individual and you say that this individual, no matter what their race, creed, color, whatever it is, um That they have the same fundamental rights as any other human being yeah that's a very good starting point morally to you know to come up with all kinds of policies
0: yeah yeah, I love it, and I think that is something that I think separates um you know i, I think I, I I agree with that um framing of what rights are uh, a lot of times when you talk to people on the left, their rights are very frequently framed as the right to Something, but but that thing involves forcing someone else to do that for you. Whereas I think conservative version is I have the right to my own uh, you know life and my own you know protection of my life, and you can't uh, do anything that would take away from my rights. But I don't have the right to force you, you know, to to give me a handout. I don't have the right to force you to give me health care. You know, so it's a different. I think rights as as natural rights or god-given rights um is basically what's framed in, at, you know the bill of rights um in the constitution you know all the amendments are framed as you know things that the government can't do to affect your natural rights they're not saying the government owe you, owes you these things they're saying the government's going to not infringe on these things that are yours
1: right see you do know a good amount about this and you ha- you're you're right on the money I think and that's you know the the healthcare example is a very good example uh, a lot of people say you have a right to healthcare well healthcare is in the conservative viewpoint i would say not really a right it's not to say that we wouldn't want everybody to have good healthcare the question is how to get everybody the right healthcare yeah. but the philosophy would be that you know it, as far as having the right to healthcare well as you said, who has the right, uh, who, who actually provides that health care? Yeah. You have the right to force a doctor to provide medical right, care. Exactly. Do you have the right to force somebody to pay for your medical care? And this is where it gets into a little bit tricky territory. And again, to go back to, if we're going to just kind of touch on healthcare care for a moment, mm-hmm. the, I, I think that the, the right, the political right would say that the most, the, the most effective way to have a good healthcare system is to go, maybe maybe some would say not completely, but at least further toward the idea of, again, free market right. principles and allow uh, healthcare companies and insurance companies to compete with each other and provide the best possible prices and the best possible services. And we do that just the way that anybody else would. And one thing I do wanna point out that's very interesting is if mm-hmm. you look at, you know, for all the complaints that people have about health care there's there's something about the healthcare industry that's different from almost every other industry that we have in the United States, and that's a massive amount of government involvement. And education. It's exactly right, that was the other <laughs> one. And if you look at those two, and you look at what the prices of those two specific things, you can see there's a clear correlation between the amount of government involvement and the prices going up at a way, way faster rate oh, yeah. than what everything else is, even with inflation. So, yeah, so going back to the idea of You know, rights versus commodities. Yeah, um,
0: I think I would say even versus needs, because I Mm. think the left often conflates the two terms. Like I I was uh, talking to a colleague last week, and she mentioned that uh, somebody declared internet to be a basic human right, (laughs) and I said, I think you mean need or want, yes, because right implies that you deserve it, and someone else has to do something for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, yeah, I could agree with you that it's a need. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can come together and figure out how to address the need. But a uh, right, I don't think so.
1: Right. And <laughs> and this is another, you know, even you talk about food or housing or all of these things, um, you know, in the days of FDR, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, whether it's left, right or in the middle, I think that a lot of people have kind of lionized FDR as being mm-hmm one of the greatest presidents that we ever had, he's credited for pulling us out of the Great Depression. I would say that that's probably, uh, I I don't think that's actually the case. I think that uh, he's actually more likely somebody who even prolonged it. But one of the things that he was responsible for was actually this idea of like a whole new bill of rights. We had the original 10 amendment bill of rights and we've had of course other amendments on top of it. But part of that was this idea that you should have a right to things like healthcare, housing, um, and this is where the whole New Deal idea came from, and Social Security, and all of these things. And you know, never mind the fact that that system is all going bankrupt right now. But that kind of, you know, that was a very fundamental kind of turning point in our country that really um, it massively expanded the role of government. Mm -hmm. And I think that people's People, The philosophy uh, kind of changed and, and veered much more toward the left, so to speak, after that era. And again, you know, the, the Great Depression and the war, I think, just created a crisis situation that made people more open to these ideas. But now here we are where they kind of just seem like they're um, just a given that they should yeah. just be that way. And not a lot of people have the perspective or the history necessarily to go back and say like, well, should we have ever done this in the first place? Right. And would things be better off if we hadn't? Yeah. Maybe try to more, um, uh, again, a more free market type of approach. Um, You know, one thing I want to point out is that there's no system that is perfect. Yeah. Um, I think that a big fundamental flaw in a lot of the, Political ideology out there is the idea that we can create some kind of utopian perfect society and we don't take into account Human beings and their fallibility. Yeah, Um, even if we do say that there is a good side to humanity we have to be able to create a society with uh, You know with some sort of incentive uh, and also, you know not Having the hubris I think to, to believe that we can create this perfect system if we just have the right plan Or we have the right people in charge. Yeah um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I've kind of gone, touched on yeah, a lot of no, different all things good there. points. But, yeah.
0: I, I wanted to ask, since you, you mentioned uh, some people think FDR is the greatest president, who do you think is the greatest president we ever
1: had? Um, I, I wouldn't say uh, that there's necessarily one, but some of my tops would be Washington, Lincoln, uh, Calvin Coolidge, and Reagan. And I thought Trump was a pretty good president, too.
0: All right. Donald Trump. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good list. I don't know anything about Calvin Coolidge, to be honest.
1: Um, he he was one of the more conservative, I, I would say, especially in an era where they would really call the progressive era, where you had, again, guys like FDR and Woodrow mm-hmm. Wilson and even Teddy Roosevelt, who was kind of a progressive Republican. Um, these uh, That era really, I think, it, it's it's called the progressive era because it really kind of gave birth to a lot of these progressive ideas that have been taken and expanded upon even now to this day, and there's definitely a very uh, vibrant progressive wing in this country in terms of the political landscape.
0: Yeah. And there's progressive conservatives also, right? Is that a thing? Did I read that somewhere? <laughs>
1: um, I would say that there are maybe progressive Republicans again, like ah, I said. Okay. The, there was the progressive party even for like a, a hot minute over there in the early 1900s. But the, um, the I would say progressive and conservative those two ideas I wouldn't I don't think they really mix right
0: they're the uh, oppositional uh, uh, yeah.
1: words and it's not to say just to be clear that the idea of making progress is not something that goes along with conservatives I think this is one thing that the Left has done very very well is they use words in a very clever and efficient way yes. and and they call something progressive and people say oh well I'm for progress and that's yeah. great or, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act. Oh well, I love affordable health care, except yeah. that maybe the progress isn't actually happening. You might want to call it like the regressive. Right. Or you might wanna call it the not so affordable health care act. You know, maybe it's affordable for some people but not for others. Right. So Yeah, and,
0: and any anyone who's conservative is far right. You know, and uh, if you're if you're <laughs> anti-abortion and you're anti-choice, there is definitely a war of words.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's important. It's not to say you know, like it's not to say that we shouldn't care about these things. I think that it's important because uh, getting the message across is at least half the battle.
0: Yeah. You know? And so, just a, a clarification point: Do you think uh, conservative values and conservative principles are they the same thing, or are those two different things?
1: I would, I would say they're, they're the same. I mean, I, I I use them interchangeably. Um, you know, I think that your, your values are maybe based on your principles, but it's, it's essentially the same thing. Again, we are talking about things like, uh, freedom, uh, equal opportunity. Another one that I haven't really touched on is like the idea of, of, you know, Making your own way, or you could yeah. say self-reliance. That was what I was going to. Empowering bring up. individuals, yeah.
0: Right, because people say, you know, the flip side of of rights is responsibility, right? Like personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah. So, I think that the individualism versus collectivism argument is yeah. really at the heart of this whole left versus right, at least in the United States. But I would say probably another parts of the world as well and the collective the collectivist mindset would would say that you know we have what's for the greater good of society and again in order to kind of decide that you sort of need some sort of elite or leading kind of yeah. group of people or system in order to kind of make those decisions for the whole
0: yeah well i guess their argument would be you don't, you don't need elites right we have a democracy or a republican uh, democracy or republic or whatever and so um you know it's not just the elites making those decisions we the people right
1: right so we're not living in a in a fascist dictatorship it could be more to the collectivist side for sure um you know we're, we're somewhere in the middle but um i think even as a democracy or a representative republic i would what i would really classify the uh, the United States system as it's supposed to be, at least. I would classify it as a constitutional republic, which is quite different from uh, a democracy. And this is one actual, this is a very important kind of nuance to understand. Um, but the, the whole idea that somebody can make the decision for you or somebody else should be responsible for, for providing for you is I think much more of a friendly idea for people on the left, and it's not to say that like I as a person who, you know, would be more on the right. It's not to say that I don't think that there's a place for that. I I do. I wouldn't I wouldn't always go 100%. I think there are people that would go 100%, um, and you know maybe that would be the difference between someone who's more like of an anarchist or a libertarian versus somebody who's more conservative I don't think that there's anything wrong with the idea of having a safety net for individuals who are going through hard times but I think that we have to be very careful with incentivizing people to continue because we have generations of people that are living off of the government and it's very hard to get out of that when you don't have you know some kind of pathway I mean you know there are of course people that get out of that, but what we have now are a lot of these kind of, you know, these these entire neighborhoods, entire areas, what they call like the inner city neighborhoods, for example, there there's there's poor education, there's uh poor economic opportunity, there's poor law enforcement and poor govern uh poor social systems, all of that creates a huge disadvantage. Um and the irony is that those there are people that are still trying to rely on those systems and trying to put more emphasis on those systems yeah. when they're clearly not working. At least they're not working as well as people should, uh, as people would like them to work. Yeah. So, I would say that the the whole idea that made you know, one of the fundamental ideas that made America great is the idea of being able to. Pursue your, 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 the, having the freedom to pursue your own success in right. life, whatever that means for you. And this is another thing about the difference between equality and equal opportunity. Because what one person views as success may not be what somebody else views as success. So if some top down government system is going to decide what is the best successful thing for everybody that's not going to work for because we're all very different people with different goals, different yeah. characteristics, different mindset, different ideals. And everybody should have the freedom, the equal opportunity to pursue the goals that yeah. they see fits most for them.
0: And, and just to clarify, we're talking about equal opportunity under the law, mm-hmm. right? Because you you can't guarantee equal opportunity, right? But there shouldn't be any legal barriers to that opportunity.
1: Yes. So that's, the first place to start, of course, you know, and I'd say economic opportunity is something that you're not going to have perfection on. Even in the law, you're not going to have perfection on. But again, um, when you have the ability to start your own business, the ability to try something, the ability to, uh, to, to work in whatever capacity you choose at whatever level that you, you know, of course you have to. You have to do the work and build yourself up Mm -hmm. but i'm saying you know if you want to work if you want to work 40 hours you can work 40 hours if you want to work 60 hours you can work 60 hours if you want to work at this job you can work at this job yeah so those those types of opportunities um you know and again we're we're not going to have a perfect system but the whole fundamental philosophy and again what i think has made such a vibrant economy where there's there's been historically more ability for people to rise up the social stat up the social rankings the economic rankings than any other country really in the history of the world that's largely a result of our free market economic system and as well as our our equal justice under the law that is another thing because you know to be persecuted um unequally is you know it's obviously a fundamental barrier that's going to stop people if you're if you're some part of some elite class and you get special treatment and somebody else who's not it's not get that treatment that's going to be a huge barrier to success yeah and i would say that we're we're we've pretty much actually entered the point now where we kind of don't have equal justice under the law anymore we already have you know even if you want to talk as simply as the idea that like if somebody's a celebrity or if somebody's you know in the right government party and they're able to do something and get away with it whereas somebody else does the exact same thing and they're not that's not equal justice under the law and there's yeah. been so many examples of that you know well, that's
0: a good point but but have has there ever been complete equal justice under the law because like it's just like there were different groups of people that, that were discriminated against uh, so so maybe some groups achieved equal justice and, and then other groups sort of figured out a way around it but uh has yeah. there ever been perfect, equal justice? And, and is it better now than it, than it used to be, or, or is it worse?
1: So, again, don't think that there's ever such a thing as perfection in these yeah. types of things. Have we made progress? Absolutely. I mean, we used to have slavery in this country. Yeah. We had a civil rights movement. You, you touched on certain groups that were definitely persecuted in in a whole variety of different ways. And, again, it's not to say that that doesn't exist at all anymore, but it certainly uh, it certainly, we can see a clear, uh, a, a clear, pro- a clear progress throughout, yeah. you know, throughout and, and our I history. I think what
0: what makes the the difference is that there's there's no, uh, 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 there's largely uh, not discrimination on the books. So if there are, uh, you know, people in certain political classes or or wealth classes that are getting away with things, uh, it's not because. There is a something explicit in the law giving them that privilege, but they just have ways to get around it, or they have good lawyers, or there's a loophole that they're taking advantage of, but it's not like Jim Crow laws. It's not like uh, something explicitly in the, the code of law that says, oh, you know, actually you're, you're allowed to do this because you're right. Nancy Pelosi or whatever.
1: Right. Right. Well, I mean, this is definitely something like you're touching on a very key thing here, which is the, the the for the most part, I think it would be hard for somebody to find a law that's really a racist law and this is affirmative action. Yeah, well, we don't have that anymore. Right. So, uh, th- but you're right, I would say that that's that's one of those that even though again, it was, uh, you know, of course, the the idea behind it was to help people of a certain race, but if you're not If you're viewing people based on, on their race rather than on their merit, I, I would say that there's a fundamental philosophical issue with that. And it's not to say that there aren't disparities as a general sense in the aggregate between people of a certain race versus people of another race. But I think that in a lot of ways that oversimplifies the issue yeah. because you can find people of all races that... Are at very high levels, and you can find people of all races that are at very low levels. Yeah. Whatever rubric you want to use to call it high or low. Right. Uh, and the issue with affirmative action was, you know, we we were really getting to the point where it was discriminating against particularly Asian and Indian and some white as well. And Jewish. And Jewish. Yeah. So this is, you know, this is clearly an issue if you're if you're crea- if you have a, a law that's discriminatory, but again, you know, we're, we're making progress. In my view, I would say that's progress. Yeah. Of it's course, pro-
0: it's still better. Right. I think, I think affirmative action is better than what came before, but it's just like, I mean, the ideal would just be neutral. Like just stop the discrimination. <laughs> like don't right. do the reverse discrimination. Just stop discrimination.
1: Well, yeah, we, we've gotten to the point where I think we're starting to, to backtrack at least from a, a sociological cultural mindset, particularly on the left in universities where they're doing things like separating housing and separating graduation ceremonies based on race. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah, remember yeah, separate, yeah. but equal, like yeah. that was supposed to be a problem. Right, so
0: they have like the all black dorm rooms and all that. Yeah.
1: It's a very simple concept, you know, that comes from Martin Luther King, like judge people by the content of your character yeah. and not the color of their skin.
0: It's very interesting that, um, Republicans <laughs> agree more with Martin Luther King these days. Yeah. Um, and, I'm not saying that Democrats don't, but the active ones, right? The, you know, like the Antifa types or the BLM types, they don't like Martin Luther King.
1: Yeah, well, this, you know, critical race theory idea that's been kind of pervading our educational system and our cultural system and now even in, in our business system is essentially this embodied. It's the, it's the whole idea where it's like we're going backwards where we're, we're now viewing everything based on somebody's race. And if you're of a certain race, then you're the oppressor. And if you're of another race, then you're the oppressed. It's the victimizer and the victim. yeah And, and I think that there is a political advantage to the left to creating that sort of mentality, because I think that it helps people who, you know, people out there who want to support them and feel like victims, they'll be like, okay, well, you know maybe i don't love everything this party is doing but the other guy is victimizing me and this yeah. this is you know the person who's protecting me never mind the fact that it's exactly the opposite and i think in a lot of ways that's very clear whether you want to talk about school choice or you want to talk about this idea with critical race theory or you know economic opportunity if you actually look at what's been you know the policies that are actually helping you know the and all the policies that have been hurting you with all these these inner city, city areas where it's a, a lot of minority communities, they're almost entirely run by Democrats. And, and I would say people who are hardcore left and socialist, and the more, the further that they, they go to the left, the worse it gets for them. So at the end of the day, it's like the policies that are in place are actually hurting people.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit of chicken and egg there though, right? Because uh, most cities tend to attract uh, you know creative types and artists and stuff like that who who ha- tend to be more on the left and and so you know you can say that the, the policies are causing um, you know the high crime rates or the the high poverty rates or whatever or you can say that um, you know the the reverse like the because of the high crime rates that drove these policies like for example like you could look at places People like to say oh chicago has like the most restrictive gun laws but they have the most uh you know murder by gun and stuff like that right but but mm-hmm. which one came first was it because of all the gun shootings that they just kept making more policies or is or the policies causing the the gun violence like how, how do you know which one is the cause
1: yeah so i think a lot of these things are cyclical where yeah. it's like what came first the chicken or the egg i mean you know I'm not really we could go back to the to the point in the civil rights movement um where you know after the after the Civil Rights Act was passed, there was a a variety of different policies that were passed uh, under uh, Lyndon Johnson's mm-hmm. administration that were specifically, you know you could make an argument were specifically designed to kind of keep those minority communities downtrodden in the sense of again like kind of making people dependent on all of these welfare yeah. on on the welfare state and there's a there's a you can clearly trace some of those policies back and in a lot of ways actually uh these minority population they they had a better life in in certain regards of course we had other issues but in terms of their economic opportunity and in terms of you know the the issue of of single uh, single parent households has gotten way way worse that was not a thing a hundred years ago or seventy yeah. years ago so the the policies absolutely are having an effect and you can really there's a whole bunch of different ways that that you could point this out but one very clear way is when you see that the laws are just not being enforced in some of these cities right now like New York and San right. Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago and the crime of course is going up i mean it's kind of a no brainer yeah. very obvious example but that that you know the, the 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 irony is that they their their idea their their rationale for doing this is because they have this mindset that the criminal is is a victim in the situation that they're doing it uh, out of some kind of necessity because they don't have enough money or because they're you know they're they're, they're something is unfair unjust about their life and so they they have no choice but to do what they're doing and truthfully whether or not that's even true uh, it's it's you know I wouldn't I would not say it's that simple but even if it was that simple the reality is that the policy is having the the exact opposite effect right. of what you would want in the sense that the entire rest of the community is now living in an unsafe environment. Right. And so the way to deal with criminality is to prosecute and, you know, uh, actually enforce the law. And, you know, you, when someone's committing crimes, you get them off the street. And furthermore, if there's an incentive that somebody knows that if they're going to commit a crime, that they're not going to be... Punished for it. Well, of course they're going to continue to do it, and that's exactly what we've been seeing in the cities, and they've become very unsafe.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was telling my dad that I think the the subway is just going to turn into like jaywalking. Like, when when no one gets a ticket for jaywalking, then it's legal, whether or not it's there's a law about it. If no one's getting a ticket for it, you know, so if everyone's jumping the turnstile and no one's getting in trouble, at some point. It's just going to be free because, like, Mm -hmm. and and by the way, nothing's free. But that's a different that's a different story.
1: That goes back to the whole (laughs) needs versus rights thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, Um, changing gears for a sec. What do the words um, neocon and paleocon mean? I've heard those terms before.
1: You know, I I haven't really heard paleocon very much, so I'm not going to speak to what I don't really know much about. But in terms of neocon, there is a fundamental sort of rift that we're seeing in the Republican Party and, and the American conservative right which I think really separates what they might call you know whether you think this is the correct label or not what they might call the the populist right which you know is the kind of Trump wing of the party versus the more establishment Republican uh-huh. they would be what a lot of people would call the neocons uh-huh. um, it's it it's essentially the i the idea, I think that there that America's role in the world, that in terms of foreign policy and particularly involving the military, should be much more involved. You know, this is the the supposed idea behind the kind of bushite people that got us involved in in the Iraq war. And that's the neocon in Afghanistan. position that would be the neocon position. Uh, you know, there are people that would make the argument that it is. A ridiculous label that shouldn't that, that that doesn't make any sense but it, it does it, it when people say that they're they're particularly talking about like the more kind of warmonger people in uh-huh. the party the ones who uh are more interventionalists in terms of their their view of the role of the american military around the world uh-huh. and i would say actually what we're seeing is the the people on on the right are starting to lean much more against that yeah you know i think the war in iraq and afghanistan really put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths in terms of the the idea that like all the blood and treasure that was spent on those wars and and for what and continuing to feed the military industrial complex which is also again like very related to this neocon idea is like okay well these people are are connected to a elite group of people there's like a whole system of people that make money from war and so because they're making money from war they influence policy in a, in a way that continues to prolong wars to create new wars yeah. etc and there there is something real there that 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 does exist but then the question becomes like, should we completely be not involved at all? And my viewpoint would be that I think that there's a, a clear middle ground. I don't. I think that Reagan's peace through strength ideal was was, I think that was right on the money. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with having a strong military, but the goal should should really be to avoid war, and we shouldn't go to war for for any reason other than we absolutely have to. Yeah. in order to uh protect again it all comes back to the same thing to protect the the rights the lives of of american citizens that's right. the role of the military according to the the right
0: yeah that's very interesting so because in in general i would say that i i tend to agree with many conservative principles and and one where i find i disagree is is foreign policy but that could be the the, the neocon faction or i guess but it's also interesting switcheroo right because the uh like we mentioned before um you know traditionally the the left was more anti-racist and now they're they're the ones obsessed with race they used to be the ones that were more you know anti-military industrial complex anti-pharmaceutical industrial complex pro-free speech i mean now it seems like you know maybe not the whole Right side, it, but is against the military and pharmaceutical industrial complex, and the entire right seems way more in in favor of free speech than the left. Like, how did these switcheroos happen?
1: It's very interesting. You know, you think back at the times of like the hippies in the 60s. They yeah. were all fighting the man and in yeah. anti-authoritarian and you know peace and love and all of that. And and now. Those same people, 50 years later, or however long it's been, I guess 60 years or so, they're, you know, when it came to like the, the, the coronavirus, for example, like they yeah. were on board with every government regulation for the most part. I mean, I'm making broad generalizations, but you're, you're generally seeing them appeal more to the authoritarian side. Right. So I definitely think there was a flip. And, and I, I think it's just a culture-counterculture thing. I think that at that time, the counterculture was... To be very on the left. Oh, interesting. And now it's kind of switching. That's and so weird. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> because then what happens is that they get comfortable in their sort of, you know, in their sort of mindset. Things get pushed more in their direction, and then they get complacent. And then before they know it, they become the elites themselves. Yeah. And then it gets pushed back the other way. But this is you know something that I think is really great about the American system is. We tend to go through these cycles. We go back and forth, and what we find are some good ideas on one side and some good ideas on the other side, and it balances itself out in one way or another. And I think, you know, my personal viewpoint is we've leaned, we've currently leaned way too far to the left, um, and you know, we might be seeing a little bit of a shift, at least in some areas. Uh, there's a, there's certainly a lot of control of the the culture from the side of the left in terms of. The media, entertainment, academia. Yeah. Um, so that's not an easy system to break. But I think but that's it's always happening. been
0: the case, right? Like, I don't think conservatives have ever had a, a stronghold in, in those areas.
1: Yeah. I mean, and back in, like, again, the, the 60s, we didn't have this type of social media, internet right. kind yeah. of thing. So that, you know, the media was, at least in, like for television, it was – three people, you know, and, yeah. and that was, that was the entire, you got all your television news from three sources. So it's much easier to control that. And then a handful of newspapers in New York times, wall street journal. Right. And so now it, we have, uh, we have a lot of different sources for media and you know, there's a wide range of places that people are getting their information from. And of course true. it's not always reliable, you know, there's people getting yeah. information from social media and that's sometimes True, sometimes not, but the same is true for mainstream media.
0: Yeah, but I think I think it is. It, it might be true that uh, conservatives might have a stronghold in alternative media.
1: I I think they do. I mean, if you look at Daily
0: Wire is like and the Blaze, right?
1: Like, yep. Yeah. And these and you know these these guys doing these podcasts. And one thing that's been hugely influential in terms of the media has been conservative talk radio.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah,
1: you know there that was. Something that started, I think, around in the 80s. Yeah. Um, The Rush Limbaugh, right? Yeah, Rush Limbaugh was huge, hugely influential, and now there's there are many others, but that is one place where we have seen conservative voices that have been able to reach a large group of people and having a huge influence on the way the American right has, you know. Evolved in their ideals as things change in society because, you know, there's the principles and the values, but then there's how they actually get applied to things as, as they happen. Yeah. And so, yeah, th- th- those are some of the big things that are, are changing. Uh, and again, now we have uh, we have the Internet and we have all kinds of people doing podcasts such as yourself, <laughs> maybe, you know, on the left, maybe on the right, maybe none of the above, all of the above. <laughs>
0: Do you, do you think that the Republican Party um, represents conservative values well?
1: No, I don't actually. That's a very good question. Um, and I I would say that there are a small group of people who, rep- who are representatives in at least, let's say, the federal government uh-huh. that actually, for the most part, embody conservative principles. Uh-huh. But I think that there are for the, mo- the majority of them are really just kind of in it for themselves. So I don't consider myself even really a Republican. Uh, I might vote for the Republican, but it's really the person that I think is going to, to enact the policies that are closest to what I think is going to have the best results. Mm-hmm. It's not about a party to me. Um, and you're never going to find a perfect candidate that's going to do everything exactly the way you, that you want. But there is one thing that i definitely know which is that virtually everybody in the democrat party is uh, there may be again like a very select few exceptions but they're pretty much all hard left marxist at this point and the 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 core of the party is is absolutely in that direction um but there are also republicans who are not much different than the democrats and there's a lot of Wheeling and dealing that goes on behind the scenes where people will talk a big game, but when it comes time to actually vote, they're going to, you know, a a huge example of this is the way that we do our spending, our budgeting in this country. No matter what, it just seems like it could be with this this whole shake up with the speaker and everything that maybe, maybe we're going to finally see something happen a little bit different. But for decades now, it has just been spend, then spend more, and then yeah. spend more. And the Republicans are totally as complicit as the, as the Democrats yeah. in this regard. And that is absolutely not, you know, that's growing the size of government. That's, um, it's fiscally irresponsible. It's yeah. it's a huge problem. It's totally unsustainable. And, you know, that's just a problem when it comes to the money yeah that's where all you know that's where everything flows that's where all the special interests Uh come in all the lobbies Uh that's where all these guys essentially get to keep their power and grow their power and so this is like the most fundamental example where you can really see the one where where the rubber meets the road between the real conservatives and the ones who what they call rhinos republicans in name only
0: oh so that's what that means yes okay yeah, well, well they are Republicans. They're just conservative is in name only kind of. But but yeah, that's why libertarians call the the Republicans, Democrats, the uniparty or the duopoly or the Republicans. It's totally a uniparty. It's, 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 the same it's a thing. thing they just uh, you know, have different ideas on how how to uh, spend your money, but they both agree on stealing it from you. Yeah, and the longer that <laughs> and the
1: longer that these guys are in here, the the the, the more they typically will veer away from that. And it's, um, what you'll see is somebody who comes in and when they start off, they might actually govern in a very conservative way. Yeah. And as time goes on, they start to lose their principles. They get more entrenched in the system. Um, that's not to say that that's always going to happen, but it's definitely a trend. And again, it just comes back to the idea, like I don't really put my faith in a particular person um, because of their personality, like I'm not, I'm not waiting for someone to save me, you know. The the, yeah. the goal is, who is most likely to achieve the result that needs to be achieved. Yeah. And this is one of those things with Trump, by the way, where it was like, you know, a lot of people had issues with things that he said, and I, I I'll be the first one to tell you that he's super abrasive and he says right. really stupid stuff. But at the end of the day, the yeah. policies. We're closer to what I would consider conservative than anybody else, even though he isn't really right. fundamentally a conservative. Yes. He's just, in certain ways, doing things that are more practical that end up being closer to what I would consider conservative policy.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Uh, are there any things that conservatives and liberals agree on? There has to be something. They can't disagree on every issue.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> we have bipartisan—you uh, know—sometimes we have bipartisan bills, but again, I guess we have bipartisan spending bills. That's not necessarily right. Cause conservatives well, that's like Republican,
0: Democrat, right? But let, let, I'm saying just from yeah. like a, a principle standpoint, like conservatives and liberals.
1: Well, I think again the idea of of life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. You know, like the, I think that the average person. I make a I make a very clear distinction between the the government officials that are running things that are right. again on the left that are that are straight up Marxists, right? And the average person may be also straight up Marxist, but they're not all that you know. And and they might just kind of be believing something that somebody says and not realizing what they're doing, and or maybe they don't agree with them and they're just voting for them because they think they're better than the other guy, right? But I think there's certain fundamental things. I mean, you know, like like I think pretty much everyone can agree that human trafficking is wrong. You know, like right, there, yeah, there's always okay. there's, there are things but the problem <laughs> is that even if you can. Well, no,
0: it, no, because uh, when the guy made the movie Sound of Freedom, the left attacked it as a QAnon movie. Right. Even though, like you said, we should all agree that human
1: trafficking is wrong. But again, <laughs> those are the people that are in charge. In the media in positions of power trying to influence society and they may very well be successful at doing that in a case like that so you may have the average person who considers themselves to the left or liberal out there saying uh, parroting that exact same idea idea but if if it was effectively explained to them that like this is just Against human trafficking, like, don't you have a problem with human trafficking? Yeah. they would all say, of course, there is nothing political.
0: It. I, I really, still to this day, just yeah. don't get it. So, the because problem the is actor was was a, a Trump voter or something. I, no. Or the writer, I, the, or the well, guy that it was based they on. They did
1: bring in certain things that 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 were that were very much in line with a lot of the same. People that were in the QAnon movement were kind of talking about. So it was very easy to kind of lump into that category. And I think it's probably safe to say that, you know, some of the people that were involved in that were on board with that kind of movement. and
0: Some of the people involved in the movie, in the movie were on board with QAnon?
1: I, I think that that's a likely possibility, but it doesn't mean that human trafficking and and the, the, it doesn't mean that the cause... But was there any
0: messaging in the movie that was... Because I didn't notice the any. The word
1: QAnon, I don't believe, was ever used. Yeah, not even the
0: word, but there was no insinuation that, like, uh, you know, like, people on the left, like, drank baby blood or whatever, like, the...
1: I like, can't remember. It's been I watched it a long time ago, but I, I can't really remember. I mean
0: it was literally a true story. I think the the only messaging that was in there was it was very pro Christian. That's the only messaging I saw. Yeah. And and I could see why people might have an issue with that but to but there was nothing conspiratorial or or QAnon related.
1: I mean, these days people can turn anything into a conspiracy theory. They'll just easily, (laughs) they'll just say, Hey, uh, this person's a conspiracy theorist because we don't agree with them. And, and that's the problem is ultimately, even if there's, if I ask the, uh, everyone in the population, like, do you think that, do you think that children should be taught about sex? And whether it's gay sex, straight sex, transgender, whatever, uh, that children from the ages five to seven should be taught that stuff. I think you would get a good 75, 80% of the population saying, no, we don't think that's a good idea. But yet when you have the the information war going on, yeah, somebody passes a law that says that we're going to prohibit that and people don't even realize what they're fighting against. Yeah. So this is the problem is that even if there in simple terms, I could tell you of course there are lots of things that liberals and conservatives will agree upon, especially the more classical liberals, the 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 practical result of what our political landscape looks like right now is that whatever the other side is doing gets demonized. And unfortunately it gets demonized often very effectively. Yeah. And so we can't really agree on much of anything these days because of how polarized everything has become. But wow. that doesn't mean we don't agree with the ideas. Yeah. And that's why I actually say a lot of times people agree on more than they realize. And I do believe that. And I like to have conversations with people who I quote disagree with because right. oftentimes we could find some common ground if they're open-minded. Not everybody is. Right. But there are some people who are and yeah. willing to have a conversation.
0: I I have found in, in my experience that it is easy to have an open conversation with a conservative than a
1: liberal. Yeah, Uh, I have a theory on this. Yeah, let's hear it. I mean, I I think that while people on the left have often been preaching tolerance and they may believe in their heart of hearts that that's an important ideal, it doesn't seem to extend to the uh, uh, open-minded tolerance of of views that differ from your own. Yeah. Uh, and, And I actually think that this is something that has been reinforced by again the 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 tight control that the american left has had and calcified over decades over media over entertainment over academia and what ha- that has created is a situation where people kind of on the left kind of just walk around thinking that everybody should naturally just think exactly what mm-hmm. they've been hearing on on television and and you know on the late night talk show or whatever it is yeah and they've actually in many cases been led to believe that the other side is truly evil. That's not that, that they're yeah. people that have bad ideas that you disagree with, but that they're truly evil and they're bad people and that so they should be shut down and we shouldn't listen to them at all. Yeah. And it's a fundamental different fundamentally different mindset. And I do think that there is something to be said about the idea that if you have strong ideas, like you might find again that people on the right are generally at least this has been my experience and apparently yours as well are more open to having a conversation and debating a topic with somebody that they disagree with yeah. than somebody on the left and i think that if you if you have really given critical thinking to your ideas and you and you really have thought out your positions then you should be able to defend them oh, yeah. against somebody else that has a differing opinion and you, you might teach them something and you might learn something from them. And Indeed. that's, again, that's what's great about the freedom of speech yes. and the American way of life. Yes, But we've really lost that on the left. And I think that, you know, frankly, a lot of, a lot of it boils down to the, the idea is not having a lot of merit. Not being very defensible in a lot in in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. But that's just my two cents. And again, it's the cultural kind of idea that yeah. we shouldn't have to. Yeah, I defend.
0: I think I, I agree with your uh, cultural analysis in terms of you know TV and, and and schools and it's something you're told your whole life. And, and we saw evidence of this with the uh you know the 2016 election and the uh, no one really saw Trump winning. Um, and then when he did, people were like shocked to the core because media is kind of represented by coastal elites as well as universities and so um, it kind of came out of nowhere and I think maybe people just think that they have the valid opinion and someone else who has a different opinion is not someone with a different opinion, they're just wrong um, because obviously this is what we're surrounded with forever so it must be the correct thing. Um, but I also wanted to clarify that I do have some great conversations with liberals, including on this very podcast. Yeah, um, I've been listening but, to that. Yeah. yeah. But just in general, like you know, like the, the people who come on this podcast are kind of a self-selected group of open-minded people that are willing to engage. Um, They're out
1: there. Yeah, they are out there. And it's refreshing that there are, you know, when there are people out there that are willing to, to actually discuss these topics in and get deep with them and really – try to pursue the closest thing that we have to truth because I think mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. Oh yeah. And that's what freedom of speech is all about. And, and I think that's something that's been really lost in, in especially our modern society now. I think there are so many people out there that don't understand the value of freedom of speech. You know, it's the First Amendment for a reason. Mm-hmm. And we would not have this system that we have today if not for that freedom of speech. Yeah, and it's it, and of course a whole variety of other things, but that's a yeah. fundamental part of it. It's very important.
0: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of of freedom of speech. Um some would call me an extremist.
1: I would call myself an
0: absolutist. Free speech
1: absolutist. Yeah. I like that. I agree with you on yeah. that. I think that the the only the the only thing that should not be allowed is when if there's a direct call to violence, a direct call to violence. Yeah. As in I want you to go out and kill all of those people yeah right okay that should or if someone's making a direct threat like I'm going to do something to harm you well the threats
0: different right because if if I perceive that you're going to commit violence against me then I should have the right to defend myself so yeah I think a a plausible threat should be contained but a call to action how do you prove it? I mean, it would have to be imminent. There would have to be extensive evidence. I might agree with you, but I think it would be hard to prove.
1: Yeah. Well, again, I think that it's got to be very direct, like basically what I just said. You know, that's and and then, by the way, I'm not actually saying <laughs> it to be clear. I don't want to get in trouble here. No. But but generally, you know, this is like when you take the January 6th thing is a good example. Right. Yeah. Um there was no point where that was said or anything of the sort. No one ever said to... No, the
0: guy who didn't get arrested said it.
1: Uh, that That's true. I was talking about Trump.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Trump himself. You know, Trump himself uh, could be argued that he he didn't say anything quickly enough to try to stop it, but he definitely didn't say anything that provoked it. He specifically said... What did he say? Peacefully, Peacefully
1: and patriotically. Peacefully and patriotically. Make your voices heard. It's so her.
0: crazy that Nothing they take that. Trump's... Like, when he said... There's fine people on both sides. That was the sentence right before right that. Right before. Was, yeah. I condemn the white supremacists. And after. Absolutely, right? Something like that? Yeah. yeah. And they take this one thing out of out of context. So, so when he said, uh, what was the thing he said on January 6th that they keep pointing to? It was like, fight, fight for...
1: Uh, yeah, maybe fight for your freedom or something. Fight like for that. your
0: freedom or something like that. And they completely disregard the point where he said... Uh, to march peacefully, <laughs> like it's so yeah. crazy,
1: and 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 that's a perfect example of what I would say is still pro- but, but, protected but speech. But Ray
0: Epps did direct people to go in, or at least that's yeah, what every said, video. He said, "I want you to
1: march to the Capitol building." And it's on yeah. video.
0: and Alex Jones was on camera saying, "Do not go in." Yeah, and people try to blame things on Alex Jones. And he's literally holding a megaphone saying, "Do not go in." It's so crazy. Yeah,
1: and people around Ray Epps when he was saying it were like. Fed, fed, fed. Like yeah, they knew, yeah, yeah. They yeah. knew there was something shady about it, but um, there yeah. was
0: once upon a time where if you said Ray Epps on a podcast, they would get taken down. I think we're past that, right? I have no idea. <laughs> what's, uh, what's I didn't been... even
1: think about that. <laughs> I think once upon the we were time. doing so well, man. We It's it.
0: okay. I don't. I don't. It's not monetized, so it can't be demonetized. Um, what has been your journey? Like, have you always been a conservative? How did you uh, uh get into conservatism?
1: Yeah. So I I I wasn't raised in a family that was, you know, particularly. I would say that, you know. They were conservative, but they weren't very outspoken about it. I think it was just a general way of life. Um, growing up with a, a little bit more of a religious background, I think also was there, there's some correlation. I think between that people with religious background and um, more conservative principles. But uh, I, for me, it actually was conservative talk radio that was really you know I remember very clearly the 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 point when when I. When I first heard Mark Levin, Mm. I was just randomly listening to a channel and I was like, who is this guy? And I had no interest in politics before that. And then I just, you know, the things that he was saying was just making so much sense. Yeah. And uh, I got hooked after that and really started to get very, uh, very involved in what's going on and forming my own opinions and that's essentially how it all started
0: nice yeah yeah it's it's so interesting i think that um i mean i i had similar things in my conservative journey and my libertarian journey i think that like the more you expose yourself to things like eventually you're going to stumble across something that is just like whoa (laughs) it's really like you know so i i encourage people to uh You know, listen to podcasts, read books. I I mean, you don't know where you're gonna find it, but like, you know, I I I read Dostoevsky, and I'm like, whoa! Like, like, there's just like moments that the more you expose yourself to things, the more you're likely to stumble across something that just resonates with you.
1: Totally, yeah. And I mean, you know, a lot of people don't make as much of an effort to go out and and. Listen to the thing that they wouldn't agree with, so that they can understand where the other side is coming from, and I think that's important too.
0: Yeah, I think that is important. And, and actually, I—that's a. Ha, has there been anything that you've changed your mind on, um, whether in the the realm of conservatism or politics?
1: Yeah, I think one was was the gay marriage thing, actually, that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, you know, I I originally. And and I do think that from a a religious perspective, and maybe even a at least up until recent times, a societal societal perspective, uh, marriage was always defined as a man and a woman, and I was, you know, subscribing to that notion and didn't see the need to change that. And then I, as I kind of thought about it more, the the thing that made the difference to me was that from a practical standpoint, there are laws on the books that currently are privileges that are given to married couples. And as two consenting adults, if you cannot have those same rights again, I believe in equal rights for everyone. Right. So if, if you, if you can't get visitation rights or you can't get, um, confidentiality as a witness for your spouse, or you can't joint file your taxes because you're a gay couple, that is unjust. And for me, that's where I kind of came to that conclusion. And I made the decision that from a legal perspective, the government should absolutely recognize any two consenting adults who want to enter in a civil partnership, what we would call marriage. I will add the caveat that that doesn't mean that I would force a religious institution
0: to oh, yeah. marry a gay couple, right? That's that's, that's rights that's and rights, freedom of religion yeah. <laughs> being, uh,
1: being obstructed, so uh, or being infringed upon, and you know this goes into the whole like there was that whole fiasco with the the, the gay wedding cake and all this, and it's like you know, there's a lot of situations, a lot of there's the, 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 with these social issues in particular, what makes them so polarizing is that you have one I, one very important ideal on one side, and another very important ideal on the other side, that are at odds in the situation. And I think the appropriate approach is to try to find a reasonable balance between them. So in the case of this, you know, this gay wedding, for a, a religious religious individual, um again i would I would make sure that that person has the opportunity somewhere to have everything that they need, and I don't think that forcing a religious person or a religious institution to partake in that is going to actually infringe on their rights but it will infringe on the person's religious sensibility and their ability to practice their religion as they see fit and as long as they're not actually hurting anyone it's again somebody can make the argument that it's hurting them but I would say that that's taking it too far Yeah, Uh, abortion is another one again it's like one of these one of these hot button issues you have on the one hand the right to life is fundamental right and then you have on the other hand the freedom of a person to choose whether to undergo a medical procedure and you know the idea of my my personal uh, belief is that both both extremes are are not the way to go. I think there has to be some kind of middle ground and we as a society are trying to figure that out right now and I think that the fact that we that we now have taken taken away the supreme court sort of fiat that made it so that we couldn't really have these discussions because it was decided by a small handful of uh, unelected mm-hmm. people, right? Uh, and totally un- unconstitutional, but that's uh, a whole separate yeah. issue. Um, but just created this situation now where we have different states doing different things, and we have a lot of people focused on the issue, and it's hopefully going to play itself out. And that's you know federalism, which is another really you know it's it's one of those kind of lost ideals that a lot of people don't consider about what has made America so great, which is that yeah. we have a national government, but we also have state governments and state rights. And actually the way it was supposed to be was that the majority of these everyday kind of circumstances were supposed to be decided by the states. The constitution specifically enumerated a very select few powers given to the national government and and gave everything else to the states. So they wanted to decentralize power as much as possible, and again, this is like these are fundamental conservative kind of principles that kind of dictate how I view what kind of policy decisions should be made. Yeah. So I went off a bit on a tangent there. No, it's a about, good tangent, yeah.
0: and uh, I'll I'll just say to the uh, the the gay cake and the a- abortion. I, so the gay cake, I I agreed with the outcome, but. I disagree that it should be based on freedom of religion. I thought it should have been based on freedom of association, and freedom of association seems to be something that's been completely lost. And when we talk about First Amendment, you know, free speech gets upheld, freedom of religion gets upheld, but freedom of association gets trampled on all the time, and if I don't want to make you a goddamn cake, (laughs) I don't have to make you a cake, and you can't force me to make you a cake even if I'm not religious
1: you know i gotta say you make a good point there and i don't disagree (laughs) with you at all actually um i think that the reason that people focus on the religious is just because it's a more glaring issue in this particular circumstance but you're not wrong i think that that's another important way to look at it um forcing somebody else to do something is almost always not going to it's not going to jive with the philosophy of, you know freedom and it's like you're you're taking away somebody's ability to choose. And again, obviously, you know, there's limits to that. The limit should be when you're causing somebody else harm. Right. So, um, and this was, a something that was litigated and relitigated in the courts and has come out in the favor of what we're both saying. So yeah, I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Josh, we're getting towards the end of our time. I want to thank you again for joining me before you leave. What is one thing if you had to choose one thing that you want me and all of our listeners to know?
1: I would say that, I've touched on this a little bit very recently in this podcast, that when somebody says that they're conservative or they're on the right, the first thing that comes into your head should not be, oh, so you're against gay marriage? Right. Oh, so you're you're against abortion? You know, that is so far down the list of, of things that are important to, I think, most people who call themselves conservative. And I hope that in this discussion, I've kind of outlined some of the, the more fundamental ideas and the guiding principles that really drive the thinking of the American right. And I think that if people really gave that an opportunity to listen to it, they might be less quick to demonize in the way that you see so often. So that's my, that's my spiel on that. Now I know.
0: <laughs> awesome, dude. Thanks.